The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to NXT The Rise and Fall, a look back podcast brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai, and joining me as always is the man you really want to hear from, the guy in the know, the king, Joshua Goodwin. How are you, my friend? Oh, Sai, it's like downtown Beirut round here, mate. The cats are going mental with all the fireworks. <laughs> um, honestly, you we're probably going to hear a little bit about it on chain wrestling which is live, live the same day this show actually comes out that, that evening. I hate fireworks now because of the animals. I've got to a point where they can just get in the bin. I'm so angry. And around where I live, it is, is just, just, it's terrible. My, mm. I've never seen my dog so scared as yeah, well, he was last night. We, um, we lost half the cats last night cause they were hidden all around the house in places yeah. we didn't know, even know existed. So, uh, yeah, I got one snoozing next to me at the minute, but, He'll tell me if there's any fireworks banging like a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we seemed to have like every house around us letting off fireworks last night. We were the only ones just sat there and thinking, just shut up, stop it, you know. But yeah, hopefully that'll be that again for another, well, I'll say for another year. I've got New Year's coming up and it all starts again then, doesn't so, it? We'll have this until about December the 14th, I reckon. Yeah. At least <laughs> January 14th, even flipping it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to us, a proper grumpy old men, ain't we? Griping about the fireworks, but it's true. Fuck oh. fireworks! Hey, if you want, <laughs> if you want to hear me griping, you know, just stick around, listeners. There's going to be plenty of griping on this particular episode. Yes, and the episode Joshua is referring to is the NXT episode from the 22nd of August, 2012, from Full Sail University, as always. And it, it becomes apparent before you even press play on the network. You've got the thumbnail there. You've got the little description of the episode. We're still not going to get to see the final of the Gold Rush tournament this week either. Nope, that ain't happening yet. You've got to wait just a little bit longer, Sai. But uh, after, what we sit through, <laughs> after what we sat through today, I don't know if I'd have bothered. They dragged this out, haven't they? They've really dragged this out. There are three separate talking head segments in which they're talking about how important it is to win, mm-hmm. be the first person to win this, this title. Yeah. Um Although they also have a few segments where, like, I remember Santina Morella at one point going, oh, this this title isn't the destination, it's just the beginning, which is like, okay, it, it sort of sets in stone, like, the mindset of NXT at the moment. It's like, yeah. you don't really matter. Like, it'd be cool <laughs> if you get, it'd be cool if you get this little trinket, but it doesn't really matter. No. Oh, we'll get into those talking heads shortly. But yeah, oh my goodness. This was a slog, this episode. This was a slog. I, if, if I find myself, when, when I'm watching stuff back for, for podcasts, 
I've also got the telly on watching it. I've got my laptop to make notes. If I find myself ever picking my phone up, I know something has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think I've done it a couple of times during this show. So I, as I've mentioned, I quite like to go through it a few times because each time I'll pick up on something different. That okay. being said, it, it was torturous. It was miserable. <laughs> it was terrible. It was turgid. And it was just, as you say, it's 45 minutes that felt like four hours. Yeah, and I mean, 45 minutes is not a particularly long time, especially when you think about the, the marathon that is now raw at three hours and, and so on. But in that 45 minutes, they still managed to fit four wrestling matches in. So if you'd said that to me before I pressed play, I'd be thinking, oh, fantastic. Yeah, uh, you <laughs> you would think that, wouldn't you, Sai? I'm, I'm looking at my notes here now, and the way I do it is every time a match starts... It, the, the competitors' names are written in red on my notes. So if I scan through quickly, I can jump to whichever point I need. It stands out. And then in between the the competitors' names, the notes are in black. There's so little written in black that, honestly, we might be in and out of here in like six minutes flat. <laughs> yeah, but for once, for once, this podcast might take less time than to actually watch the episode. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> Before we dive into this week's NXT, however, we want to know what was going on in this week in wrestling back in 2012. So I suppose the only way of doing that accurately is to check in with the Goodwin Report, Joshua. The Goodwin Report. Sure is, Sai. Well, today we have a bumper Goodwin report because it was the if NXT the twenty uh, second of August. Well, the Sunday before just so happened to be SummerSlam, which they nice. did build into. Uh, precious little um, NXT representation on that po- on that uh, particular show, but I guess that kind of stands to reason at this stage. I mean, what have we got here? So Sheamus defeated Alberto Del Rio in somewhat controversial fashion for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, the primetime players, who are the only NXT representation, uh, were defeated by R-Truth and Kofi Kingston. It wasn't really a great time for tag teams, Sai. No. No, it no, wasn't. Right. So like maybe someone needs a hashtag give tag teams a chance. Exactly. <laughs> but I like that. Um, CM Punk defeats John Cena and Big Show after some shenanigans uh, for the for the WWE title. And in our main event, we see Brock Lesnar defeat by submission via Kimura, the uh, COO himself, Triple H, in what was a somewhat significant match, because I believe it was the last time we saw long-haired Triple H. Oh, okay. Yeah, or at least in the wrestling ring. Hmm. Oh, right, okay. It's funny, isn't it? Because... Triple H obviously cut all his hair off and he was renowned for that hair his whole career as well. I mean, you think going way back to the WCW days when he, when he was terrorizing and he had the sort of Buffon quiffed up blonde effect there that wouldn't have looked out of place in an episode of Charlie's angels or one of the ladies. It's uh, then obviously the long hair with the Hunter Hearst Helmsley gimmick and all that sort of stuff. And then the game and, and so on. When he shaved his head, it was obviously a bit of a, Oh, okay. He's, he's, he's cut his hair, but it, works it still he still looked badass with his leather jacket and stuff like that sean michaels his best mate obviously had to cut his hair because he was filling out quite dramatically shall we say and it just doesn't work at all does it for old sean some people are very fortunate in if they shave their heads it looks okay i was very fortunate in that there was a period of time when I was resting, I shaved my head. I looked okay. There are some people for whom if they shave their head, they do not look okay. Kind of. Sean Michaels looks a bit like a bean without any hair on his head. <laughs> the heart bean kid. Um, <laughs> heart bean kid. Love it. <laughs> uh, is there any more to cover or is it just uh, well, the main point of interest? Well, we've got Raw and SmackDown. So over here on uh, Raw, we had um, Kofi Kingston and R-Truth teaming with Sin Cara, the original one. So should we say the controversial one? Uh, And he was teaming against uh, the primetime players again and Cody Rhodes, uh, the tag team champions, and Sin Cara picked up the win in that one. Uh, Jinder Mahal, you know Jinder Mahal, the guy who they've been building for six weeks to make look like a killer, especially mm. his camel clutch submission, which, yep. as we discussed, there are no camels in India. Um, so <laughs> he interfered in a handicap match with Ryback and managed to push off the jobbers, and he locked in this dreaded 
camel clutch that so far we've been building to see as the most lethal maneuver in NXT. Ryback picks him up, just muscles it and picks him up, throws him away, and he runs off. Oh dear. So uh, it again goes to show just how much uh, NXT at this point was valued or even paid attention to by the yeah. higher. Um, uh, does it I mean? Did that segment need to happen? That's the that's the question I always ask. That to me hurts a part of the product because this guy is going into the NXT title match with Seth Rollins. In mm. theory, then he is one of the top two guys in the company. In theory, because the, the way it's been booked and so on. Yeah. Did that segment have to happen, or could it wait until after the title match? It. I really feel like it could have, and it mm. should have. I mean, they'd had the. Jinder Mahal Ryback thing sort of brewing in the background for a few weeks on the main roster. Um, it was Ryback's first feud, as it were. Um, it's working, incidentally. Ryback is getting a hell of a reaction, as we'll see, uh, especially in SmackDown. But um, yeah, I think, again, it's the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing. Or yeah. in this case, I believe not caring, because I think, you know, NXT just wasn't considered very important at this point. And actually, as we'll see moving forward, like way forward, there's a few indications or in times rather that this kind of stuff happens. Yes, it's very frustrating, isn't it? Very frustrating indeed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like they don't like making money. Um, <laughs> and in other news, Caitlin was there somewhere as well. I didn't actually spot what she was doing. Um, the show closed, this is Raw, closed with uh, CM Punk and having a chat with John Cena and Jerry Lawler. It ended with CM Punk kicking King in the head to close the show and act like a prick. They gave this 20 minutes. Sorry. Why? When, when wrestling matches on this, on this card were sometimes taking five or 10, like a talking segment. And it was a fine talking segment. I must admit, I didn't watch all of it, but geez, you can, as we've learned on our rise and fall, look back, you don't need 20 minutes to tell a story. So, uh, yeah, Incidentally, moving on to SmackDown, we have Ryback taking on Jinder Mahal. Would you care to take a guess as to who won that one? Would it be, because obviously he needs momentum going into this title match, Jinder Mahal? Believe it or not, no, it was Ryback. That, really? I, I know, right? <laughs> you, you can give him a, a... Yeah. And obviously this is uh, the week before the big title match. Um, and yeah, Jinder Mahal got bashed over in about three minutes oh my goodness yeah we're definitely still operating on a two-tier system uh <laughs> in other news uh nxt alum heath slater defeated sincara that crap one with uh cody rhodes managing to spin sincara's mask around which i thought was amusing <laughs> yeah that works as someone who's wrestled in a mask i imagine you can uh, appreciate that oh it sucks it sucks so bad <laughs> <laughs> especially like for me it's not it wasn't like a full-time mask so it didn't really fit so yeah i couldn't see not nothing um and, <laughs> and the main event we saw alberto del rio uh defeat randy orton to once again become the number one contender uh funny thing there was he managed to steal one of ricardo rodriguez's shoes and belt sheamus over the head with it uh sheamus having run out because i don't know reasons um so that wraps up the wwe elsewhere in the indies on the 18th of august which was the night before SummerSlam, we had an event in north carolina run by pwx uh we had kevin steen for future nxt champion um being accompanied by thomas simpson who as a little piece of trivia that i found out was one of the co-founders of omega which was the um promotion that the hardy boys ran okay started off as a little trampoline federation and he defended the ring of honor world title against cedric alexander who also i believe is a uh, future nxt alum or uh, rather 205 alum are we going to watch 205 live side any well, of the we'll, see, we'll see when we get there mate there's a lot of tv <laughs> to watch before that begins but yeah any, that's, a, any, that's definitely a possibility say any of the cruiserweight classic at least maybe not the uh, 205 live because the cruiserweight classic a was brilliant and two also like factored into uh the yeah. NXT in, in years to come. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> not not to put you on the spot or anything, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like you haven't got enough to do. Oh, I'll figure it out. You know, who needs sleep? Um, 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Speaking of sleep, if you, if you're struggling a little bit, and 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 you, you know just just dozing off is an issue, I can recommend the NXT episode from the 22nd of August 2012, and the the, the gloriousness that we are going to see in this next 45 minutes, uh, Joshua. Yeah, it certainly was a bit of a snoozer, wasn't it? It was. It was. We begin with. Uh, well, we begin with a wrestling match, which is always a, a bonus to me. You'd hope and so. We have Derek Bateman, who has been on NXT TV, you know, on a regular basis since we started our watchback, and he is facing Cesaro, which is always good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the comment here about the tape that Cesaro uses, referencing it as rugby tape. The commentator team uh, uh, are saying. Now that tape goes around his thighs and he's not wearing any knee pads, which was a look Cesaro sported for the majority of his time in WWE, I would, I would imagine. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, to me, when a wrestler doesn't wear knee pads, it looks weird, but only because I'm so used to every wrestler wearing knee pads. So there was a time when no one else was really doing it that I didn't wear knee pads. I didn't okay. wear knee, I didn't wear knee pads once because I enjoyed the aesthetic, but also because... I have rather fat thighs in proportion to the rest of me. So what would happen is my legs would get sweaty. I'd do something that involved my knee pads. And what would happen is they would slide down my legs and skin my knees. So it was actually, (laughs) for me, it was actually worse to wear knee pads. Um, There are obviously different schools of thought going into it. Some people think that it's utter madness to not wear knee pads. Um, I believe it can be done, obviously, because I did it. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, it's not something that's ever really bothered me. I know that some people don't like it. It sounds like you're, you're not the biggest fan, side. Well, it, it depends on the individual. I mean, there was, a, there was a spell where Cody Rhodes didn't wear knee pads and he was wearing trunks. Hmm. Now, he's quite a slight guy in comparison to some of the more you know, bulked up individuals he would stand across the ring from or even alongside in certain tag teams. He... At this t- at this period in his career, he had, he had more of a sort of young baby face look to him. He was quite clean shaven and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So he had no knee pads on, trunks, and he just looked like he was just a guy in his pants. And that's kind of what I don't like. I, I want a wrestler to... I'm not saying a wrestler should wear trunks, knee pads, this, that, the other, but I don't... I, I want my wrestlers to look like wrestlers. Even if they're wrestling in jeans, t-shirts, whatever, they look like they belong where they are. If you're just in trunks, I kind of think, are you going for a swim or it's a bit, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a bit of a tough one. I think that also that may have been compounded by the fact that Cody at the time was wearing silver boots, which in the right light you couldn't see. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I think the black boots might have helped because the one thing I did do when I was uh, sporting the no boots, the no boots, the no uh, knee pads option was I would have my socks up very high. So you could see that there was something there. Um that being said, um, I guess Cody was probably doing it for more sort of like an old school aesthetic, right? Because yeah, I think so. He's got the uh, the obviously aff- affinity with his dad and such. Um, also, knee pads can sometimes, if you are of a slighter build, they can make your legs look smaller. It's more more the case with arms than with legs, but especially like so, if you if you don't have big arms and you wear elbow pads, it can often accentuate the fact that you don't have very big arms. Um, yeah, I can see what you mean though. It did look a little funny, especially during that period of time, because the whole no knee pad thing wasn't so much in style. It mm. seems quite fashionable at the moment. If you uh, look around, I blame Pete Dunn myself. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, another comment we get from the commentary team is that Bateman is potentially pound for pound the strongest in WWE. Yeah. I thought that was supposed to be Antonio Cesaro. <laughs> And me, that threw me a little bit. Okay, you know, he does seem like a pretty strong boy. One thing I want to say about Bateman in this contest, he seems like quite a good boy, which bothered me because it felt like we were going somewhere with him. Yeah, you have those little teases, haven't you, backstage with like the 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 little look backs or the little digs he's having at people and so on, little subtleties maybe. But yeah, here it's almost like that was just not being done anymore. Yeah, and I mean, it was being played very subtly, so maybe we could still come back to it, but it does somewhat concern me, especially in the prism of what we'll see later, when there seems to be quite a few things that they were going somewhere and they've just cut it off at the legs. Mm. 
Yeah, very true. I mean, speaking of going somewhere and cutting off at the legs, this match, I suppose, for maybe a minute or two, felt like it was going somewhere. Uh Uh, But then the finish kind of arrived quite quickly when, well, effectively, you know, it's fairly predictable. Cesaro, he's going to win this contest. You'd imagine that going in. And he does so with his gotch-style neutralizer, as it's described by the commentary team. Now, the neutralizer itself, I mean, for those who have not seen this move, it's it's basically lifting somebody up into a power drive position and then falling forward and, and dropping them on the mat. The the neutralizer move itself. What are your thoughts on this? Because I can appreciate how much that could potentially hurt, getting you know pancaked on the deck, nice and flat and splat and so on. But I think if it's not done really, really well, it's very easy to look like nothing. Uh huh. Well, I loved it because I did it. Okay. It was a move I did, and I did it for a very specific reason. If there were some smarter audience members in the crowd as as a heel, I want to uh, tease them with something and then take it away. So yeah. if I make it look like I'm going to pick somebody up for a power driver and they're like, oh, power driver, power driver, I haven't seen that in years, and then fall on their face, they immediately go, aww. Yeah, okay. So I, I did enjoy it on that level. That being said, it is something of a finicky move. It's actually probably more difficult to execute than a power driver, though I'd say the the chance of injury is less. Um, but yeah, I mean, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, the actual gotch lift, so like the hand in the crotch, actually mm-hmm. makes it a little bit more difficult because they're less secure. But Antonio Cesaro is actually as strong as a bear, so I don't think it was a problem <laughs> for him. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose in the position you end up anyway, there are similarities to the Styles clash, potentially, AJ Styles mm-hmm. finisher, because you're basically landing, you know, on, again, like I said, on your front splat. Yes. But with the Styles clash, I've read tales of people not tucking their head properly and having quite serious injuries from okay. it and so on. So the problem is that they do tuck their head side. You- okay. Because where they've got your hand, your arms pinned back, it doesn't feel very secure. And you, in most situations as a wrestler, you're taught if in doubt, tuck your chin. Right. Whereas, whereas for a styles clash, that's the exact opposite of what you want to do. Now mm. with a neutralizer, because you've literally got their head between your legs, you can actually hold them in place a little better. Um, and it feels a lot more natural, a lot more secure. Yeah. It's just, it, it's a move that's a lot more commonplace, if that makes sense. And so, the standard procedure of what to do is a lot more apparent. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, overall thoughts on this match then before we move on? Uh, the crowd was a little livelier. Um, the crane cam is back. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. Side. I noticed it particularly in the next contest, looking over the one corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's another thing that makes me feel like maybe it's sort of a new regime. You know, we've been complaining about production. I mm-hmm. feel like maybe this is a new set of tapings and maybe they've changed a few things, tightened them up. But it also means on the backside that there've been a few things in terms of the storytelling where they've gone. Yeah, now nah, we don't like that plan. Um, other than that, um, yeah, um, really Antonio Cesaro just ran over him. Um, the cutoff, I remember being another stun gun. So it makes me think there's a really lazy agent. Yeah. In the back. So it's like, what should we do to cut him off? It's like stun gun. <laughs> we just, I don't know about you, but it seems to be the most effective cut off in full cell university. Mm. Yes. Those ropes must be really, really painful. Oh yes. <laughs> Raise razor sharp. Yes. <laughs> the next match. I mean, I, I suppose if it comes down to, shall we say box ticking potentially, We've got a lot going on in this 45 minutes, in theory, on paper, because we have singles matches, we have a ladies match, which we're coming to now, we have a tag Divas match, match Divas, sorry, we have a Divas match, and then we have a tag match, and then we have a uh, a talking segment. So in theory, mm-hmm. you're ticking a lot of boxes off the list of what could be on a wrestling show in just these 45 minutes, but... Again, same with this match we're coming to next, the, the Divas match, Sofia Cortez versus Tamina. I mean, it was all right. It did what it needed to do. But if I never see this again, I'm not going to be that bothered. Well, there's only so much you can do in three minutes, Si. And that's about how long they had. Um, And my main takeaways with that one was, um, like, first off, Sophia's a heel now. Mm -hmm. When Um, did that happen? Yep. (laughs) What what happened to the whole Natalia thing? Um, that being said, it was possibly the best thing for her because she 
did the, did it a lot better. Like I feel like she had improved a lot more. She had a lot more personality. Um, with playing a heel, it's a lot easier often to just, you know, like experiment and you can feel a lot less restricted. And I think that did her good. Um, I mean, Tamina was fine with the exception, like her entire baby face shine was she shoved um, Sophia and then did an arm drag, mm. which, you know, doesn't feel like enough really for anything. Um, and yeah, other than that, the baby, like the heel heat was about a minute. You know, Sophia kicked her a few times, grabbed a hold, and then we were into the comeback. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I've got. I've got lots of kicks and then a body scissors. We then see Tamina hit a super kick, body slam, splash from the top, she wins. Yeah, that would be it. Um, So it is one thing that was interesting about it is that, you know, I've been saying for a while, you hit someone, they're flat out, pin them. Mm -hmm. This would be one situation where it's an exception that proves the rule. Because I feel after that super kick, if Tamina had gotten the crowd going and gone straight up to the top and hit the splash, it would have gotten a much greater reaction. Yes. Because, because sometimes it's one of those things, like, say, if Goldberg hits a spear, like, in theory, he could pin him, and maybe he should, but it works a lot better that he hits them and then gets them up for the jackhammer and does it. Um, again, it's just one of those things where it doesn't necessarily make sense in terms of the doctrine, but it's one of those that you kind of have to figure out for yourself. And yeah. But it, it worked really well in terms of the uh like the splash looked good everything was fine it was just didn't have long enough it, it was the same as the cesaro and bateman match it just didn't have enough time to even really get going mm. yeah yeah i agree uh a couple of things at the end of the match that i kind of wanted to touch upon first of all we have the the, the superfly splash that tamina is using as her finisher we mentioned it on a previous episode when we seen tamina she comes down at not not exactly a, a, a flat kind of position where where you see other people maybe do a splash. She's a little bit more almost vertical at times. And here mm. we see her really smashed down on her knees. Like it looked bad. She obviously had knee issues going in, you know, for, for a long time in her career, operations and, and as to supports and so on. And it just popped in my head, maybe this contributed to this. Because that splash, she's 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 coming off the top rope. She's dropping quite away. The repetition, maybe, if she's constantly doing that every night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, certainly one of those things. I mean, Steve Austin messed up his knees by doing splashes for like two months straight off a cage mm. without without knee pads as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think she should really be doing it. And if it weren't for her surname, it wouldn't be her finish. But I no. felt like she kind of felt obligated to um and possibly she wanted to you know she wanted to honor her dad um yeah i think i'd have dropped it out of her repertoire but as you say it's the only thing she really had going for well that super kick looked good the super kick did look good um but i'd rather mean like you know with the name snooker yeah okay Um, but that again that being said like you know richie steamboat's got his uh super cool sling blade so you you don't you don't have to be married to it (laughs) This is true. This is true. Um, your favourite and mine, Raquel Diaz, then arrives and attacks Tamina, writes an L for loser on her head in lipstick before posing a little bit and walking off. I- I'm I'm over this already. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I I don't mind it. Like the the character doesn't offend me as it seems to offend you, Sai. I don't um, know why. I can't I can't put my yeah. finger on what it is. I just. I just don't want to see this woman on my television. I, again, I think it's one of those things like she's getting heat, but for you, she's getting the wrong kind of heat. Yeah. I mean, I okay. feel like everything she's doing, she's doing well. Um, yeah. She does the, she does the character fine. Um, I feel like it's something that's still going somewhere. It would have been nice to include Paige somehow, mm. but you know, I think it kind of is what it is. At the very least it, it went somewhere. It's doing yeah. something, which I feel like up to this point, the whole show hasn't really been building too much, except we're teasing the uh, head-to-head later with uh, Jinder and Seth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, mentioning Jinder and Seth, just before this women's contest, we had our first, I suppose, little promo video 
trying to hype up the, the prestige of being the first NXT champion, uh, talking about the Gold Rush tournament. And it's full of main roster guys, which I thought was a really nice touch, them talking about the importance of this title, as long as the right wording was used. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, giving it the stamp of approval from some of the upper tier guys. I mean, we had like John Cena, who doesn't get much more upper tier than that. We had, um, I believe, was it Daniel Bryan? I think Daniel Bryan yeah. was there. Yep. Um, also, such luminaries as Ted DiBiase. <laughs> Pretty sure he was there. Later one, uh, and Santina Morella, who also yeah. exists. Um, but yeah, as you said, there were um, they were giving people a stamp of approval, saying you know this whoever wins, they're putting themselves at the front of the queue to you know go to well, really implying that they get to be the first to go to the main roster. Which mm. you know, on the one hand, I get it, but on the other, it is significant of the times that. You know, it's very much seen as the point of being in NXT is to get out. Yeah. Like, like it's prison or something. <laughs> yeah, I get what you mean. Uh, our next match is a singles contest between Cassius Ono and Jake Carter, who we have seen before. Obviously, Jake Carter, we've seen on the show before. But for some reason, when they announced Jake Carter, I was like, I recognize him. Who is that? And I still had to Google it, even though we've seen <laughs> the guy before. Uh, and of course, it is uh, Vader's boy. Yeah. Here, <sighs> Carter starts relatively well, I think. There's, you know, he's getting some moves in. He's, he attempts a couple of early pinfalls, which I like because, again, it shows you're trying to win the match. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, quite cleverly rolls out the ring to, I suppose, gather his thoughts, get, you know, regather himself. And Carter gets distracted by the referee for Oh, no, to kick him. Now, that one I don't mind so much simply because it is the referee enforcing the rules. Mm-hmm. And- giving Cassius the opportunity to take advantage. Yeah. You, you do need to adhere to the rules, if there are any. Um, and so the referee trying to break it, because Cassius was on the ropes, or at, rather he was on the apron. Um, and so the referee taking Jake Carter away, I think, works. And then for Cassius to then follow up on that, I thought it works okay. Um, as you say, it does make... Uh, wrestlers look a bit dim, but then historically we've always looked a bit dim, haven't we, Sai? Well... I wasn't saying that from a standpoint of complaining about it because I mean, it could, to me, it could have been done badly very easily, Mm. but I think the timing of this worked because uh, as you said, the referee was trying to um, stop Carter doing what he was doing. He then turned and looked at the referee and bang gets nailed. It's not like he turns to look at the referee and then was there for an incredibly long time being dramatic and theatrical before he got, hit because that would look yeah. bad he literally turned his head for a second and it, i suppose i suppose it makes ono look good because he is literally snatching that tiny window opportunity there well that's it i think uh credit has to go to ono there for the timing of it mm. because as you say if you leave it too late it makes your opponent look dim and you don't want to make your opponent look dim because then who you beat um i do think that throughout this contest actually cassius ono did make jake carter who was definitely a lot greener than Ono look good. I mean, Cassius has always had a knack for making his opponent look good, even in matches where he's going over. This is probably, I'd say, the squashiest of his matches so far, but yeah. he still managed to get Carter looking good. And again, I think it really serves Cassius's character because he is more sort of a wrestler, and so he does need longer matches to like get over, as it were. Yeah, but even with that, you saying about needing longer matches to get over, this still wasn't very long. This was still no. a relatively short contest. They do have a bit of back and forth, but then uh, I suppose I suppose this serves Ono well because we have that kind of discus or tornado elbow that he hits for the finish that they mm. refer to here as the dream killer. I'm, yeah. I'm as, I, as far as I know, that's the first time it's been named, but I quite like that name. That's quite cool. Um, it, may, it may have been a name they were using on the indies. I'm honestly not sure. Okay. But it came out of nowhere and ended mm. the match. Yeah. Now, I, I, I like that. Oh yeah, and it looked brilliant. Like it was very well executed. The like the strike was good. Jake Carter sold it like he was knocked unconscious, which was beautiful. Which is exactly what you need. Like oftentimes you take a strike like that, you know, you sell the head or whatever. But like he sold it like he was unconscious, and it was perfect. Mm, yeah, really well done. Really well done. Uh, we then have a post match beatdown. Oh no, Carazon kicking the crap out of Jake Carter for a little while before Richie Steamboat runs in to make the save. So. As random as that may well have felt at that point, 
I mm. like it because it means that, that we're, we've got, we've obviously got something coming between these two. It's not a case of, oh no's had a match, won it, end of. We're already looking to, I suppose, I suppose the big question I ask quite often with, when we're talking wrestling or fantasy booking or anything like that, especially on Nitro Nights, is where next? Here, mm-hmm. we're already getting that answered for us. And I like that. Yeah, I think it adds to Steamboat's character because he is very much that happy, shiny, baby face type. And as he booted Cassius out, like he was very much like, you already won the match. What are you doing that for? Which kind of serves the character that he's portraying, which is sort of a paragon, for want of a better word. Um, he did need his music before he ran out, though, which I'm not yeah. a big fan of because if you if you had your mate getting decked like anywhere, you you wouldn't need to wait for like wait play my music play my music it it reminded me of um vampiro during a triple mania event not so long ago where he was the commentator and he was supposed to intervene in something and he kept shouting over his um microphone like where's my music play my music play my fucking music and it's like dude your mate's getting beaten up in the ring go help him wasn't he also um uh, I can sympathise in a way for getting to mute your microphone or for getting to unmute your microphone. But wasn't there also a footage? I'm fairly certain it was Vampira, uh, mm. where he was on commentary and you could quite clearly hear him farting. Where he had, yeah, <laughs> I believe that was the same card. I believe that was the same card. And yes, uh, it didn't paint him in the best light. But then a lot of the stories that you hear about Vamp don't paint him in the best light. So no. maybe there's some, maybe there's some truth to it. Yeah. That tickled me though. Just, just dropping his guts every now and again on the, on, on commentary. Um, <laughs> we have, I'll, I'll say now as well, uh, the fireworks have kicked off again round here. So if you can hear it, I apologize. Uh, there's literally nothing I can do. So the, no, I've, I've got the same, I've got a cat running around the room trying to find somewhere to hide right now so that's fun yeah i worry about what the state my downstairs is going to be like with a dog and the cats down there trying to cower somewhere yeah. but there we go uh uh the, the, the richie steamboat making the save is followed up by a relatively lengthy SummerSlam video it was longer than some of the matches yeah i mean they had they had a segment about the whole be a star thing they were running at the time their anti-bullying campaign and Mm -hmm. they had various segments with that and celebrities involved and so on we then had a segment where wwe stars were visiting children in the hospital now i like seeing that that's lovely because i like seeing how happy the kids are that's great there's i appreciate when wwe comes to town especially for a big pay-per-view they do kind of just take over the city and they get a lot. They do a lot. And, and you know, great stuff. It's, it's brilliant for the kids, brilliant for the community. Mm-hmm. But this is a 45-minute TV show. Did it need to be like that? That's exactly what I was thinking myself. Like, we've had some matches. I think the first match was literally five minutes. The second match was literally three minutes. Um, I'm not sure about Cassius and that, but it wasn't much longer. It was maybe five minutes. Now, time on this show is valuable. It's valuable everywhere. Um, So if NXT is very much your third brand, you're probably getting a certain type of audience member. This certain type of audience member probably watches most WWE programming. So you don't necessarily need a three-minute advert for WWE. No. You could have devoted some of that time to have a little bit more wrestling on your wrestling show. Um, Also, Pierce Morgan was one of the luminaries that they featured, so it can fuck off. (laughs) Fair enough. If it was done the other way round, I can I can make sense of it because Raw and SmackDown are obviously uh, and you know traditionally uh, and all the way through NXT's run had higher viewing figures than NXT itself, uh, which it would naturally. So if on Raw and SmackDown they literally took three or four minutes to run a promo, a video, a, a package, or whatever promoting NXT and then telling you where you can find the show, I'm on board with that because you've got the bigger audience on Raw or SmackDown, and you're trying to get the eyes on the other show. But I completely agree with what you're saying. Done this way round, the people watching NXT have probably seen this video package already on Raw and SmackDown anyway, and, and yeah. on, on their YouTube and on their kickoff shows, or because they replay stuff so often. It's not. I don't think it's really needed. It's, it's just wasted airtime, Si. That's the only thing I can say is it's just wasted airtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah indeed indeed our well we're told this is our main event but it doesn't go on last we have the tag match coming up between tyson kidd and justin gabriel and they are facing the team of michael mcgillicutty and johnny curtis but before we get to that 
we have another Gold Rush promo. Sure talking about the importance of the championship once again, which I can understand. They're trying to really stress how big and important this match that is coming up is. But again, it's 45 minutes of television. Mm. You know, is that another waste of airtime? I'm kind of leaning towards yes. I think three of them. Three of them's too many. I, I get it. And and especially it's a nice touch to have, uh, you know, some of the more featured stars, like Raw superstars, SmackDown superstars and the like. But it just, it didn't need to be this much. It, they were hammering home a, a point that was already made. They were, you know, beating a dead horse. Mm. And also I feel like a lot of the backhanded compliments of NXT didn't necessarily do it any favours at this time. No, again, it comes back to... Uh... Is potentially worth it if the right wording is used, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. One note I made, or one thing that popped in my head when I saw that Tyson Kidd and Justin Gabriel were teaming up is that, and I suppose it comes back to, again, the, the comment you made earlier about it, it being quite a poor time for tag wrestling. These two could have gone on and been bloody fantastic together, couldn't they? Yeah, well, they did have a tag team run, which mm-hmm. I didn't realise. They, they ran for about two years. Um, right, okay. It did strike me as odd though, because Curtis and McGillicuddy came out together and Kid and Gabriel came out separately. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Doesn't doesn't paint them in the best light in terms of a team. Um, That being said, they they did fairly well as a team in the match, if you want to go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there about not being painted in in a good light. Regal on commentary tickled me here because he talks about McGillicuddy and Curtis driving around in a dirty old van. And they've got banned from Disneyland or Disney World or or something like that. Yeah, that one went over my head. I don't know if that was like a topical joke of the time, I but uh, or if he was just I I don't know if it was that or if he just wanted to make the Walt Disney joke about him spinning in his fridge. Yeah, I think that's kind of what he was aiming at. But it got it, it, it made me laugh. Regal cracks me up. <laughs> he is quite good. I mean, he's got the uh, he, I, he's been watching. Uh, stand-up comics since about the early 60s i imagine so he's just you know got all their one-liners and just riff ripping them off same as uh same as jerry lawler with his joke book yeah exactly <laughs> um this is obviously described during the show as the main event and it is the last wrestling match of the show but actually going on last is the talking segment between seth and jinder which we will come to shortly now what what do you think about that? Do you have a preference in that the main event spot, as in literally going on last, is that your actual main event? Or can you call this the main event and have something on afterwards? Does it have to be a wrestling match that closes? Um, I don't think it has to be a wrestling match that closes, especially considering how big the match next week is in theory. Um, okay. That being said, I think the last thing to happen is the main event. And so they probably should have called the talking segment or maybe a contract signing. A contract signing would have been perfect in this situation. Call it the main event. Um, mm. The tag match was like the main wrestling segment of the show. It was the only wrestling segment of the show, in my opinion, really, that was yeah. actually uh, resembled a match. But um, yeah, like if you're going to have, you know, your, your last segment be about the big match coming up, that's fine. Just call it what it is. I mean, Raw this week ended with a talking segment. Um, I don't imagine that they said that the match that came prior, which actually I think was Chris Jericho and Dolph Ziggler, um, that wasn't necessarily their main event because CM Punk and um, John Cena were higher up the totem pole at that point. Um, So yeah, just call a spade a spade, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of on the same level as you with that. I don't mind a talking segment closing a TV show. Never a pay-per-view, never a big event, but a TV yeah. show different. Uh, because... with, with the exception, side of uh, Randy Savage and Liz's wedding. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that was very dramatic. Yeah, okay. But again, that's what we're talking there, 1991. Yeah, yeah. Ex- yeah. So it's kind of like that works potentially because it was the exception maybe in that in that whole time frame. Uh, absolutely and they'd had literal years building into it so you know you can give it a you can give it a pass but yeah Yeah. like there's always an exception to the rule exactly exactly uh there's a couple of spots in this match early on that i that i enjoyed there was one where the the good guys i guess use a slingshot into his partner's shoulder that Mm. was quite cool and then that then turned into a sunset flip i enjoyed that I, i think with tag wrestling it's important that you have double team moves 
because otherwise you're just two blokes. Mm-hmm. Tag team wrestling, what sets it aside for me is the fact that there is two, stating the bleeding obvious here, but tag wrestling, there's two. So use use the fact that there's two of you, I guess. You wouldn't have a cage match and at no point use the cage or exactly. climb the cage or hit someone with the cage. You wouldn't have a tables match and then not have someone go through a table. Don't mm-hmm. have a tag match and then not use the gimmick of the match, which is that you can tag and use tag, like use your tag team offense. And yeah, I think Gabriel and Kid they had uh, some nice tag team offense. Actually, I think McGillicuddy and Curtis did very well. Yeah. Whenever, uh, like, so they got the, uh, the shine that they were, beating up on McGillicuddy whenever there was a moment where he could make a tag he attempted to make a tag um one gripe about it that I'd say is that Gabriel wasn't quite so good on it he was the fellow who took the heat for uh, the good guys and when he got beat up he, he wasn't trying to make that tag as often like if he got an opportunity he wouldn't like crawl or just reach out just give the in- indication that his intent was to get out of there and tag in his his fresh partner yeah no that makes a lot of sense and it's little things like that that make a big difference i think when you're watching absolutely because again it it all comes back to trying to win and if you're a team you want to try and use your your team you know same as same as any real sport same as football same as basketball same as anything you use your teammates yeah 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 good show uh we find out during this match that richie steamboat has challenged cassius ono to a match and the commentators are wondering what ono's response will be as this is being said, the, the heels kind of take control after Curtis distracts Justin Gabriel and Michael McGillicutty cuts him, uh, hits him sorry, with a crazy lariat that basically turns the guy inside out. So that looked fantastic. Yeah, Justin Gabriel's got a habit of making it look like the other guy killed him. This thing is yeah. the third time. He's he's very good at that. Like, I'll give him all the credit in the world. Now, with this cutoff, I very much enjoyed this cutoff because it had, um, it had the teamwork. It had Curtis walking the line to try and get to... Um, uh, Gabriel. My problem with it was the week before someone tried the same thing and got disqualified. Uh, yes. Continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So like if, if you're in a situation where a guy, like if you attack a part, like the legal guy as the illegal partner, you can get disqualified. Well, that's not helping your team win. That's jeopardizing the potential, the whole match. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily put the blame so much on the individuals in the match as the inconsistent rules. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you maintain like a consistent like rule book, then it's easier to tell the stories. Now the, yeah, it, it helps everyone. It yeah, helps everyone. There's a very good chance that a lot of people would have missed it because, as as we said last week, it was very jarring. It was very unnatural to see a, a finish from like 1986 used in 2012. But mm-hmm. for the one like audience member who remembers that and goes, "Oh, that doesn't make sense," they're taken out at the moment. Mm. Yeah, that makes yeah yeah spot on spot on. Uh, the the bad guys work over Justin Gabriel for a bit um, in, until Curtis attempts a, a relatively high risk move and and misses and Gabriel gets the tag. Uh, yeah. and then we have a bit of a scary moment where Tyson Kid falls from the top rope. That could have been really bad, couldn't it? Yeah, I think he was going for well. I always called it a marrow salt when they do like the the jump reverse and then do the moon salt. Yeah, um, yeah, the one foot slipped off the top rope i guess you know they call it high risk for a reason mm-hmm. um to just wind it back just a little bit because there was something that i wanted to comment on um and that was first off the tumbleweed was great fun the uh, curtis move i love um mcgillicuddy's reaction to it because he he did the exact thing that i would have done which is what the fuck are you doing pal <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. But then Curtis, I'll give him a pass because his whole thing is that he's weird. I actually, something about Curtis that I really like, and it was an interesting juxtaposition with Tyson Kidd. So Tyson Kidd does a lot of moves that you don't see very often, but he does them in a textbook fashion. It looks just like it's supposed to. It's very crisp. It's very clean. Uh, Curtis does moves that you see every time. Like he does like the suplex. He does like the slam. But the way that he moves is so unique. It looks different. He kind of reminds me of The Rock in that regard, in that like The Rock didn't do anything especially like out of the ordinary, but everything he did, he did with his own flair. Yeah. Um, with The Rock, the one that comes to my mind is 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 the stamp, the stomp. Yeah. Because he has that yeah. kind of weird little flick of his boot before he does it, and that, yeah. uh, I know it's like it's it's just you know just a tiny little thing, but that really stands out to me when I think of The Rock. Yeah, it, it makes him different. 
And it's such a small thing that makes such a big difference because it, it, it's one of those things that stands out. Because even if you're like the one guy who notices, oh, he does the little foot wiggle, you go away and you go ne- next time you're watching him on television, hey, hey, missus, watch this. Watch this. He wiggles his foot before he stomps. Yeah. And then you've just got something that connects you, right? Um, after the hot tag, um, McGillicuddy, I feel like messes up in a fairly big way in that he crawls to his own corner um, and then right. does attempt to tag out, which makes everyone look silly because then Tyson Kidd is watching him going, oh, what are we going to do now? And then hits the move. But it's just one of those things where it's an example of how tag wrestling can be that little bit more difficult in that you have elements where you have more moving parts. So it can make it just more tricky. And it's a mistake that, again, took me out of it, uh, even if I don't think everyone would have noticed, but it's just one of those things where if you don't, you know, if you, if you've got an opportunity to like help yourself win, so like get out of the ring because you're getting your head kicked in and you don't use it is one of those that will make people go, huh? Well, yeah, why didn't no that? Yeah, exactly. It makes no sense. And, yeah. you know, and I don't think it was, you know, a problem in terms of in theory. I think it was the execution. I just think Miguel Cuddy went to the wrong corner, which under the circumstances, these sort of things can happen. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it did take me out of it because I was really enjoying the match up to that part. And then I just, I was like, oh. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> uh, we do get the finish relatively, you know, quickly after Kid falls. I, I'm assuming this was how it was supposed to go anyway. But at the same time, if he's, because he landed right on the back of his neck and on the back of his head, it was a really bad bump. And damage could have been done that you're unaware of in the, the couple of minutes that, you know, follow that, that actual moment. So I think, ending the match as quickly as they did was the right decision, whether that was the, the original plan or not. It was, you know, it was a good decision to make. And this is done by Justin Gabriel and Tyson Kidd hitting a blockbuster move. And that that's that, I suppose. But I mean, I, I suppose the competition isn't great, but match of the night for me. Yeah. Easily match of the night. I mean, it was, it, it had enough time. If nothing else, I think it was given about 10 minutes. Mm. The, the tag wrestling was all pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed the comeback. Um, as you say, up until um, Tyson Kidd banged his head, it was uh, really quite good. I mean, they powered through, so you know, credit to him for that. Um, you say had the blockbuster, which I think was their established tag move. Um, and yeah, it was again, it was all fine. It was again, I come back to it being ambitious. It was the most ambitious match that they had in theory in it, but it was also the match that you know had the most time. It was the only match that really had any time. So it was. Yeah. The only- it was the only one that really even given a chance. Yeah, no, that's that's spot on. That's spot on. Uh, we are then told we are heading towards our face to face as they are talking, uh, Seth and Jinder. But before that, we see another Gold Rush promo building it up once again. And we also see Cassius Ono uh, shadow boxing out the back. And he speaks with his, uh, his interviewer there, accepting Richie Steamboat's challenge. And then goes back to his shadow boxing. But again, the line everyone needs to know that Cassius Ono hurts people. So simple, so, so straightforward, but instantly it, it sticks in your head, doesn't it? It's it's just a reminder, like it's hammering that point home. It's it's consistency, which is something that's been sorely lacking from this uh from this mm-hmm. entire broadcast. So I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the face to face then. I can appreciate what they try to do with these segments but i think you hit you hit on something earlier on when you said that a contract signing here would have made more sense than just having them come to the ring and talk we all know where we're going to end up because it's a wrestling show we've all seen enough wrestling shows to know they're not going to come to the ring have a bit of a chat shake hands and off they go that's not how Mm -hmm. these things work but this just didn't feel it just didn't feel necessary, even though they're building towards the big match the following weeks. And a, and a contract signing, you're spot on, Joshua, a contract signing would have made it feel like it had to be done. Yeah, there'd be a reason for it to happen. I mean, with big fights in boxing and MMA, things like that, they have like press things they have like press conferences maybe that would have worked better it would yeah. have been it would have made sense you know to have someone ask questions other than byron saxton byron saxton instantly looked lovely in his suit uh that's about the only nice <laughs> thing i can say about him um but yeah it just it didn't hit right i mean they, they came out to their music in their gear it's like why are you in your gear you're coming out to yeah. talk 
you know, Seth comes out doing his mosh pit man thing, which, mm. as we've already discussed, doesn't rub you the right way. No, um, there's a bit more of that I want to I want to comment on in a moment as well. Oh yeah, please do. But I mean, Jinder comes out in his um, wrestling garb. He's got his. He takes his turban off, and it's like, why? You're supposed to be having a chat. Why aren't like Jinder Mahal in this like situation in this scenario would look would look great in a suit. Yes, and Seth would have looked great in you know like his one man mosh pit gear, whatever that would be. <laughs> but you know, an image is conjured in my mind as I imagine it is of the listeners. So you know, I'm sure that there would be something. But I mean, boxers don't go to the press conferences in their shorts and their gloves. You know, footballers don't go to these things wearing their studs and their kit. You know, it, it's, it's a time and a place. So it didn't make sense for me for that. And that's before they even started talking. Oh, to be honest, now you said it, I would quite like to see a contract signing where they, the boxers wear their gloves just to see them try and hold the pens and write their names. <laughs> just, just from a sadistic sort of having a bit of a giggle sort of thing. These, <laughs> these deadly serious blokes. I'm going to rip your head off. I can't hold my pen. That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> they might have had to put it in their mouth, but then they've got the gum shield in the way. So God, oh, yeah, <laughs> it would have been a real struggle. And yeah, going, I'd have ripped your head off. He's got your gum. Shield. Oh, rah, 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 yeah. Rah, rah. Yeah, that that would have that would have been a very entertaining. Perhaps you know we can we can write to the WBC or whatever and see if they'll do one for us. But there we go. Uh, <laughs> Seth speaks first. He says he has dreamt of being a champion ever since he was a kid. WWE came along when he was a kid, and it was a big deal for him. And that's when he finishes talking, turns to the crowd, and does some more head banging, and that pissed me off. Mm. Well, well, the the one thing I want to pick you up on there, Sai, was you said Seth spoke first. No, he didn't. The writer spoke first. Whoever, ah, wrote, whoever yeah. wrote that bloody script spoke for him first because he didn't get to say a word. He no. remembered it fine. He had de- he delivered it fairly well, but it's another case of just those scripted WWE promos where everyone sounds the same and they all have the same pauses and it all leads to the same place. Ric yep. Flair did not sound like Dusty Rhodes. Magnum TA did not sound like Ric Flair. You know, Jeff Hardy didn't, well, maybe Jeff Hardy because he had a scripted promo, but, you know, people didn't all sound the same. In yep. this environment, everyone sounds the same with the exception of a few foreign words from Jinder Mahal to make him sound like a bad man. Like it all just sounds exactly the same. It sounds like it's all just being said. It sounds like one long monologue being said by just one guy. It's all cookie cutter, isn't it? Exactly. We come back to how certain matches are structured. We come back to, especially the, the divas division as it is at this point on the main roster and a bit in NXT as well. It's all very cookie cutter. The divas mm-hmm. all look the same. And this is why Paige is incredible because she doesn't look the same. Mm-hmm. You know, the tag matches tend to be structured in a very similar kind of way. It's, it is very much, I mean, this is the, it, this, obviously NXT is a WWE product. That's, that's, that's obvious. Yeah. In our previous episodes, I have felt like this is a WWE product without it being full on 2012 Monday Night Raw. That yeah. Is slight, you know, yeah. This episode, this episode of NXT is WWE product all over. Which again comes back to my theory that this was a new set of tapings because they've gotten the crane, they've gotten a lot tighter with the production, but I feel like they've gotten a lot tighter on the talent. They're given a lot less mm. freedom. It's much more like, and this is a, a wild speculation, but it's like Johnny Ace came down to the PC and said, "We're going to do it, you know, WWE yeah. way now." Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Jinder responds to Seth saying he's got this dream and he's had this other dream and he's dreamt of this and all that sort of nonsense uh, by basically saying that Seth sounds like a born loser and he gets the terrible what chant at him from the NXT mm-hmm. fans. It all breaks down eventually, as as predictable as it will be. Seth goes to respond to Jinder, but Jinder attacks Seth Rollins. Rollins <laughs> fights back, sends Jinder to the outside, and then... I think this comes back to the the crane that you mentioned, the the camera angles and mm-hmm. so on, because Rollins hits one of those dives where he goes through the ropes to Mahal on the outside, and the camera angle we had, I literally I've seen a dive like that it must be hundreds of times, mm-hmm. but this the, the speed Rollins ran at, and then the angle we saw it at, I literally sat up and went whoa because it looked fantastic. It did. It definitely did. Um, It does come back to one of the pluses of the WWE production values in that they do know exactly how to do things and exactly how to film things to make it look absolutely great. Um, 
that being said, I feel like it was maybe the wrong way to go because we've had the same for two, three weeks now with Seth yep. standing tall and Jinder running scared. I feel like it may have been the time for Jinder to get some heat, you know, yeah. hit, hit Seth, you know, get him in the camel clutch for a couple of seconds, have it being pulled apart so we don't wind up injuring anyone, but make Jinder look like more of a threat. Exactly. And I, I thought that that was where we were going to go. And I suppose I'm going to contradict myself a little bit now. But so many of these segments that we have in, in WWE television over the years end with the heel beating up the baby face mm. before going into the match. It's, it's kind of like a, a tried and tested way of doing things. So that's what I assumed we were going to get here. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I complained about things being cookie cutter literally moments ago. So I'm going to, like I said, completely contradict myself now because mm-hmm. I was expecting the cookie, sorry, cookie cutter yeah. sort of system with this. But we didn't get that. And on this occasion, I think having something different didn't work. No. And I mean, more than anything, it was one of those things where it just felt like more of the same. Because we have mm. had this the last few weeks with yeah. uh, Jinder and Seth. Like, it's gone the same way. And maybe it speaks to the fact that they feel Jinder's more established and that Seth needs to be uh, elevated. And maybe that's correct. But I think just looking at it, I, I feel like, especially watching like Raw, and SmackDown the last few episodes, like I feel like Jinder needs to be made look a threat because he's spent time running from Ryback. He spent time now running from Seth Rollins. He's he's a bag of hot air right now. He's talk he's talking a good game, and you know he's getting a few good wins. But then on the other side of it, it's like, well, why is it why is it that he's able to beat these guys and then not the guys on the main roster? If anything else, it makes the guys in NXT just look like absolute leagues below them. And that's not really what you want, because as soon as they then go up to Monday Night Raw and they're having competitive matches with the same guys that would have destroyed them like two weeks prior, it doesn't make sense for a viewer. Again, it all comes down to making sense. And it's not difficult, is it, when you really think about it? No, it's um, it's simple, but it's not always easy. Kind of no. like life. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that, that effectively ends the show. We we get them brawling a bit more. Uh, people getting involved, trying to separate them. The show goes off the air, which again, I, I I quite like that aspect of it because it goes off the air with a bit of chaos and makes yeah. you think I need to watch this match next week. But that's kind of where the show finishes. So I suppose, as always, we need to give our sort of summary and our reviews, our good points and our bad points, our softs and our glorious. You're soft, you slap. Do you want to go first or second this week, Joshua? You know what, Si, I will go first. I'll okay. Get the, I'll get out of the way. Um, so I'll, I'll have me glorious first because I'll get that out of the way too because it was a real struggle. I'm not going to lie. Um, for me, my glorious is Cassius Ono. I thought he was great. I still want to see more of him. I think he does a great job at what he does. Um, and I think he's really building himself while building others. So, you know, mm-hmm. can't knock him for that one. Uh, for me, my soft is the general lack of continuity. We saw it with Derek Bateman. We saw it with uh, Sophia Cortez. We saw it with Jinder. We saw it with Jake Carter to an extent. Like storylines have just been dropped left, right, and center. And I get it. If you don't want to continue down a particular path, fair enough. But you know, make make something out of it. Like don't just yeah. drop things in, and because I feel like it insults the intelligence of the viewer. Like for some like even with jake carter like it's been a few weeks since we've seen him but for him to just turn up and be someone entirely different essentially it just as i say it insults the intelligence of the viewer and i don't think that's necessarily a good thing because it's the sort of thing that makes you want to switch off yeah spot on spot on uh my soft would be all the promos we didn't need all of those it's a 45 minute show you could have cut you could have cut one of those and given just an extra two minutes to a match, and it would have made a massive difference because those matches are only two or three minutes long anyway. You're, d- you're doubling the time they get, even though it is still a very small amount of time. So I think that would have made quite a difference. All the promos for me, that's my soft. My glorious, I, I really struggled with this. I toyed with the idea of the tag match, but it was it was good, not spectacular. None of the other matches meant anything. The Seth Jinder segment at the end was just WWE blah. I, I'm going with Rollins's dive because literally that's the only thing on the show that got a reaction out of me. So that one moment is is my glorious for this week. That's fair. I mean, it was a very short list that I had. I actually was thinking of making Ono's discus elbow my glorious. The mm. only other thing I, could, I had anything positive to say about was that Sophia Cortez seemed to have improved a bit. 
but yeah. it was a it was a low bar that she was coming up from so yeah yes there we go um i don't think this is going to be a difficult decision to make for either of us but uh hit miss or middling this week my friend it is a big fat smelly miss i it was terrible it actually it made me want to watch the jinder seth match less like the whole and the whole show like if if i didn't if i didn't feel as if i had to i wouldn't bother next week mm. this this yeah. would be the point where I'd, this would be the episode where i'd check out and be like nah i'll just stick to raw and smackdown mm. it, it's a miss for me as well this is not great television whatsoever and considering i mean we haven't got a pay-per-view next week we haven't got a takeover or anything like that but we've got a show that they're building as being relatively special because of all the promo packages all the video packages all the hype uh, the tournament everything they're crowning their first champion so in a way you could potentially describe this episode of television as their go-home show for that if this was a pay-per-view it would not be getting my money no absolutely not no if tell you what site if they wrestled that match outside i wouldn't open the curtains mate <laughs> good shot <laughs> uh hopefully next week things will improve and we well we gotta have something a bit more memorable we simply <laughs> must because there's bugger all on this episode and the, we the only way is up Sai. the only way is up <laughs> exactly exactly before we depart my friend john let everyone know whereabouts they can find you on the twitter machines and so on on the Twitter machines, you will find me at Joshua Goodwin PW. Please come and, uh, you know, commiserate with me about this show. Lord, I need it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joshua Goodwin on Facebook. That's about it for me. Okie doke. And you can find pretty much everything I'm involved with uh, via the network, which is at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. Chuck that a follow. And also chuck the network a follow on all your podcast players and platforms and so on. And on YouTube as well. Give it a subscribe there. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple. Leave us a five-star review because we're bloody fantastic. And all that good stuff. But you can also find the show itself on Twitter at NXT underscore rise and fall. That's at NXT underscore rise and fall. Looking forward to finally seeing somebody pick up that belt that's been left on the side for the last God knows how many weeks. It's going to need a bloody good dusting, I think. It's just been sat there. It does need a bloody good clean. I mean, you can see all the fingerprints on it already. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's been a blast talking to you, even if the subject matter wasn't that good this week, Joshua. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Yeah, way more fun chatting about it than watching it. Yeah, definitely. I will see you next week, my friend. I see you then. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.